reading this morning is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the Gospel of Christ. Well, as David said earlier, if you're a regular at St Stephen's, I'm sorry that we're taking a break from the, um, the excellent series that Joel's been preaching in 1 Corinthians, and uh, sorry to be breaking for that for um, a moment, but he's on holiday with the family, and uh, that's why we're looking at these words that Heather just read. From the lips of the Lord Jesus, from John's Gospel. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words spoken a long time ago in a different context by the Lord Jesus, and yet still so deeply relevant for us this morning. And we pray that as we spend some time now thinking on those words, reflecting on them, seeking to understand them, to believe them and to put them into practice, we pray that you might help us in this task by your Spirit, because alone we can't do it. Work within each of us uh, and work through us so that we might know these things in our heads and our hearts and live them in our lives. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2023 in Christchurch means that most of us are pretty urban. We're people of the city. Even if we started off in the country, we're more and more people of the city. And yet it's amazing how many of our proverbial sayings, our wise insights into life, still pick up rural life. There's still so many sayings that are agricultural or about animals that we use all the time to help us understand uh, what life is about and have wise uh, sayings that we live by. And as soon as I start saying that, you'll be amazed how many common ones there are. Even if that area of life is no longer part of our normal life, even if we've never done them or experienced them, we understand the principles that lie behind them. Let me prove it. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Anyone ever counted chickens before they hatch? It's a genuine question. No one? But we understand it. I lived a pretty rural life growing up, so I grew up outside of... Nelson itself is not really urban, but I lived miles outside Nelson in a small place called Wakapawaka, which no one's ever heard of. So we lived a pretty rural life, but even I haven't counted chickens before they hatched. But I understand what it means. 
Don't bank on things too quickly. Things can go wrong. Things can change at the drop of a hat. We understand it. One of the reasons I never counted chickens before they hatched was I wanted the eggs for food, not for chickens. And there's another one. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Even if we've never done that before, we understand what it means. If you've got all your eggs in one basket and they, you fall over, they all break. But if you've diversified, if you've separated them up, there can be wisdom in that. We could go on and on with these wise insights into life from agriculture and animals. Make hay while the sun shines. You may never have made hay, but you know what that means. You reap what you sow. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. What does that one mean? I don't know, but we kind of get it once we sit down and think about it. Why am I saying this? Well, today Jesus uses agricultural imagery. He speaks of the land, but he's not really speaking of the land. He's speaking of something else. But he's using that to teach truths that you and I need to understand and live out. And clearly, one of the main things he's saying in these verses is that Christians should bear fruit in their lives. This is only eight verses long. Seven times the word fruit or fruitful comes up. And like the sayings I used before, this might not be language that we use commonly today. In fact, we might not specifically, particularly understand exactly what Jesus means by it because he doesn't define what fruit is. But we kind of understand the gist of what he's saying. If we are healthy Christians, if we are growing and faithful, we should be bearing fruit. And so before I get into the words that Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Are you bearing fruit as a Christian? Are you bearing fruit as a Christian? If you and I were engaged in a conversation afterwards and I asked, how would you answer that question to me? Are you bearing fruit? What would you say? What would you look to? What would you bring up? If I was to demand proof, if I was to call someone up the front to say, are you bearing fruit, how would you answer? And as soon as we put it like that, it can be quite a confronting, ch uh, challenging question. Well, this morning I want us to think about this from the words of Jesus, to see what he says in this area and to see what we can learn from them. And they are confronting words, and yet they're also deeply encouraging words. And I pray that we will be both challenged and encouraged by them this morning. But before we get into the specific words of Jesus here, let me set you the scene of when he said them, who he said them to, and why he said them. Our reading is John chapter 15. And John chapter 15 is part of a section of John's gospel that we often call the Upper Room Discourse. And it's, the Upper Room Discourse runs from chapter 13 through to chapter 17. So it's a big chunk of John's gospel. And it's a very unique part of John's gospel. The rest of John's gospel basically covers three years and it tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry over those three years. But the Upper Room Discourse, chapters 13 to 70, slows everything down and it's just one night. All those five chapters, just one night. And it's a very specific night. It's the night that Jesus is going to get arrested. It's the night before his death. And so Jesus knows that he's about to die. And so on this night, he spends it with his 12 disciples. Well, initially 12 disciples. In chapter 13, who leaves? Judas Iscariot leaves. So by the time we pick up chapter 15, Judas has already left. Jesus is speaking to the remaining 11 disciples. 
So Jesus knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to leave his disciples. And so he spends these five chapters with the disciples. So far, he's washed his disciples' feet. So far, he's shared the Lord's Supper with the disciples. For the rest of the chapters, it's just him speaking. It's not then he did this and then they went there. It's just him speaking to the disciples, telling them the things that they need to know in preparation for him leaving them. This is going to be huge for the disciples. Up until this point, they'd had Jesus with them every step of the way. But now the disciples were going to be like you and me. They were not going to have Jesus physically with them. They were going to have the spirit within them, but not Jesus physically with them. So he's teaching them and encouraging them. And it's in that context that Jesus speaks these words to the disciples. The words of chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Now, some people call these words a parable. Uh, some people call them an analogy. I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with either of those descriptions. But as I said before, it's clear Jesus is not speaking literally. He's using imagery to make a point. He's using agricultural imagery. The four key words you need to understand in order to understand these eight verses are vine, branch, gardener, and fruit. Because he's not talking about a vine or a gardener or branches or fruit. Those are being used to be an image of something more, something deeper. So let's work it out together. The vine is what? Not rhetorical? Yeah, not so much a what, but a who. The vine is Jesus, verse 1. I am the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. Very clear that Jesus is the vine. The gardener is what? God the Father, halfway through part 1. The branches are what? People. The branches are people. And we're told in these verses there are healthy branches that bear fruit and get pruned by the gardener to bear more fruit, and there are unhealthy branches that don't bear fruit, that are cut off, thrown away, or burnt. But the branches are people. The fruit is what? Shout it out. Not really defined, is it? Oh, it's a trick question. Not really defined here. But we kind of get the gist of it. Some people talk about the fruit here being maybe conversions. That if there's a healthy Christian, what you see in your life is other people coming to know who Jesus is and being converted. Uh, some people think it's obedience, because in verses 9 to 11, straight after this, Jesus starts talking about obedience. So fruit is living a faithful life. Some people go straight to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think it's probably all that and more. But bearing fruit is, it's the picture of living a healthy, faithful Christian life. The branches, people, must be living that faithful life, that healthy life. So if that's what it is, vine is Jesus, gar gardener is God the Father, branches is people, and that's what fruit is, what's Jesus saying in these verses? Well, have a look again at verse 1 and 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. Now, if you know John's gospel, that's a significant statement because it's the seventh and final of the great I am statements that Jesus makes. These are very important in John's gospel because I am was the name that God revealed to Moses back in Exodus. So when Jesus says I am, he's claiming to be God. But seven times in John's gospel, he says I am dot, dot, dot. And the dot, dot, dot is always very important about who Jesus is 
and what he's do- doing, what he's done. What, what are, this is the seventh and the final one. What are the other six? Let's see if we can get them. Light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Exactly right. Old person at the back. (laughs) Sorry for those who think I'm being rude. That was my dad, so I was being rude to my father. (laughs) So those are the six, and then this is the last one. He says he's the vine. But notice verse 1, he doesn't just say he's a vine. Nor does he even say he's the vine. What does he say? I am the true vine. Now, to say you're the true vine means you must be contrasting yourself with something else. You don't just say, I'm the true. To say you're the true means you're contrasting yourself to a false vine or to a lesser vine. So what does he mean when he says, I'm the true vine? Uh, Some people suggest that maybe as he was speaking to the disciples, there was a vine there and he pointed at it. Kind of, there's a vine, but I'm the true vine. But nowhere is that said in John's Gospel. Now, what he means by this, I am the true vine, is very important. In the Old Testament, the vine was the symbol of what? Israel. If we were making a coin today, and it was a New Zealand coin, we'd put a silver fern on it, or a kiwi on it, and that's the symbol that it's New Zealand. If we were making a coin of Israel in those times, you might put a vine on it, because Israel was called the vine of God. You can see this in Psalm 80. You can see it in Jeremiah 2 and 12. You can see it in Ezekiel 15 and 19. Most famously, you can see it in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 to 7, which is headed up the song of the vineyard, where Israel is called the vineyard of God. But now Jesus says, I am the true vine, hinting that Israel hadn't worked as the vine. In fact, I'll let you do this when you get home, but read Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, because this is a direct contrast, comparison that Jesus is making. Because in Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, Israel is the vine of God, but it's bearing bad fruit. And now Jesus speaks that he is the true vine, and he speaks of how to produce fruit and more fruit. So what does he say as this true vine? He says, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. While every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so it's even more fruitful. Now, these are strong words by Jesus. And I wonder, even as you hear me say them, they're a bit discomforting. These are words that can cause genuine concern for Christians. Because am I bearing fruit? Jesus is pretty clear here, and if anyone knows it's Jesus... If I'm not bearing fruit, the gardener will cut me off. I've got to make sure I'm bearing fruit. And the verses continue to be a bit unsettling because verse 6 speaks of branches now not being cut off but thrown away twice, thrown away once to wither and then those withering branches thrown in the fire to be burnt. And so these words can be very unsettling for Christians. Am I bearing fruit? And what we do almost automatically is we examine ourselves to see if we're bearing fruit. And in fact, in a kind of naughty way, I might have given the impression that's what this passage is about in my introduction when I said, are you bearing fruit? What happens when we examine ourselves to see if we're bearing fruit? 
I'll tell you, every time one of two things happens and neither are good. We either firstly sit back quietly confident going, yeah, I'm bearing fruit. You're welcome, Lord. You're lucky to have me. And the problem is pride and arrogance, thinking that we can do things under our own steam. The second is the exact opposite of that, where we get down in despair thinking, I'm not bearing any fruit. Oh, no, I'm going to be cut off and I'm worthless. And that's a miserable place to be. Neither of those two things is what we want. And as always in this kind of area, it's extra complicated by the fact that most of us aren't very good at self-examinations. We're probably not very accurate with our assessments because some of us are too positive about ourselves and we probably need someone else to give us a good dose of reality. And some of us are too hard on ourselves and we feel guilty even when we probably shouldn't. But from these verses here, I'm urging you, don't look at yourself and do self-examination and see whether you're bearing fruit. Again, I was naughty earlier where I said that the four key words we've got to understand in this passage were vine, fruit, branches and gardener. But up until now, I've missed the most important word in these verses. Vine comes up three times. Gardener only once, although it's clearly important. Branch six times. Fruit seven times. But there's another word that's there more times than all of them, and that is remain. Remain. Or the old translation was abide, which is, I think, what David was saying at the beginning of the service, the importance of abiding, not the importance of Biden. The importance of abiding. Because have a look at these verses. What Jesus says again and again and again, the key message that he's trying to get across is, remain in me. Abide in me. Don't look at yourself and your fruit. Look at your Savior and see whether you're in him. Have a look at the verses. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must what? Abide in him. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown onto the fire and burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you see the key thing in this verse? Abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. That's the key thing that we're to look at and be sure of. If we're in Christ, are we remaining in him? Then he will remain in us and we will bear fruit because all that abide in Christ bear fruit. Being in Christ is the greatest privilege we have as Christians. Two words, in Christ, when you notice it, you see it all the way through the New Testament. Paul writes those two words more than anything else he writes in all his letters. In Christ. Because it means that if you're a Christian, you're in Christ, which means his death is yours. His righteousness is yours. His future is yours. Everything that's in Christ is ours if we are in him. It's the greatest privilege we have as Christians. Now, that was, it was different before Jesus. What did you need to have a good relationship with God before Jesus came? Well, you needed to be grafted into the old vine. Israel. 
If I wanted to be right with God under the old covenant, I had to keep God's laws. I had to listen to the prophets and work out which were the prophets to listen to and which were the false prophets. I needed the priests of Israel to offer sacrifices on my behalf, and they needed to mediate. And that fruit, Isaiah 5 says, was bad. It didn't work. But Jesus comes and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. You don't have to keep the law anymore. I've kept it. You don't have to work out which prophets to listen to anymore because I'm the one greater even than Moses. I'm the one that God has spoken through finally and fully. You don't need a high priest, any priest, doing anything on your behalf anymore because I'm the high priest. And guess what? I'm also the Lamb of God, the great sacrifice that you need. You don't need anything else anymore. You just need to be plugged into Jesus and abide in him. He's everything we need. And so the greatest need for Christians, don't look at your fruit and think about yourself. Look at who you're in and recognize what's yours in him. And if you're in him, abide in him. You want to be healthy? You want to be vital? You want to bear fruit? Jesus himself says, just remain in me. The one who's our lifeblood, our strength, our power, our sustenance. We try to do so much ourselves. we should just rest in him. We're branches grafted into the true vine, and he's got everything we need. The nutrients, the sap, the energy, the life, the light, in him we have it. Friends, this is the great news of Christianity. This is what makes the gospel good news. This is what makes it different from every other philosophy in the world and every other religion in the world. Because in those things, it's always our performance that counts. I've got to intellectually understand something or I've got to morally perform or achieve something. We've got to get it. We've got to do it. We've got to hold on to it. And the pressure's always on. Will I understand it? Will I be able to do it? With Jesus, he's already done it. He's done all we need. Nothing more's required. Nothing more's demanded except remaining in him, abiding in him. What does it mean to abide in him? What does it mean to remain in him? Well, it means not moving past him, not drifting away from him, not being pulled back from him. It means a deliberate, intentional remaining, abiding in him. In other words, the way on in the Christian life is the same way as into the Christian life. We sometimes think, well, Jesus was a good start, but now I need more. No, Jesus is everything. You don't move past Jesus. We abide in him, remain in him. As Paul says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Keep trusting him, leaning upon him, remembering who he is and what he's done, remembering what he will do. Know that he died so that you and I don't have to. Know that one day he'll return as Lord of all for the perfect new creation. Know that he's the vine that provides all that you and I need to bear fruit. Rest on him, the rock of ages. Believe him, follow him, love him. That's what it is to abide, to remain. And how good is that? Because it means I don't have to look at my performance. I've just got to keep trusting in him. This is why the load of Jesus is light. It's why Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and you find rest. If you're trying to do it under your own steam, you'll always be shattered. You'll either be arrogant or you'll be in despair. But if you look to Jesus who's done it for you, you can be confident and assured no matter what you're going through in life. Jesus is very strong in what he says in these words. If we don't remain in him, 
we can't bear any fruit. That's what he says, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That goes directly against the, the cat's cry of our world at the moment. Today our world says you can be anything you want and you can do anything you want. It's dangerous to be telling our youngsters that because they can't be anything they want and they can't do anything they want. Our, uh, what Jesus says is that the truth eternally and spiritually in terms of the essential stuff of life is without Jesus we can't do anything. But the converse is also true. If we're in him, we will bear fruit and more fruit. Verse 5, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Don't worry about the fruit. If you're plugged into Jesus, it comes. It will happen. Just abide in him and it will result in us bearing fruit. So we focus on abiding on Jesus. Of course, a key question comes up immediately and that is, well, how do I make sure I abide? What do I put in place to remain? And I've heard preachers preach on this and then give the top 10 ways to remain in Jesus or the top three keys to abiding, which I think goes against the spirit of these verses. The spirit of these verses is don't think about your performance. Just rest in him. Abide in him. Does that make sense? Just don't think about 10 clear ways to do it. But there are a couple of clues in these verses about general things we should put in place in life to abide in Jesus. And I bring them up because Jesus brings them up. One is the word. Verse 3 and verse 7 speak of the words of Jesus in a very interesting way. Verse 3, you're already clean. Why? Because of the word I've spoken to you. And then in verse 7 it says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, except it doesn't say that. That's what you might expect it to say. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Here's a clue that the words of Jesus, which is the word of God, we need to be remaining in us. We need to be remaining in it. Spend time in the Word. It's so important. If you want to abide in Jesus, remain in Jesus, spend time in the Word. Feeding on the Word. Meditating on the Word. Studying it. Individually and in groups. On Sunday as a big congregation here and in smaller groupings during the week. So important to be in the Word. If, I, if as I speak about the Word now and you go, yeah, I'm not spending time in the Word as I was in the past, well, then maybe you're drifting and not remaining. Maybe you're being pulled away and not abiding. Spend time in the Word. The second one is prayer. Verse 7 also mentions prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Here's a verse that's often misunderstood and misapplied. Well, you should pray for that Porsche and Lamborghini. You should pray for uh, those things. And if you don't get it, well, that's because you're not showing enough faith because Jesus says, ask it and you'll be given it. I think what's being said here in context is really clear. He's saying if you're not remaining in Jesus, prayer is worthless. It's just empty words. But if you are abiding in him and his words are abiding in you, prayer is powerful and God answers all prayers according to his will. Now, if you're abiding in Jesus and his words are abiding in you, you're not praying for a Lamborghini. You're praying for God's will and purpose. And those prayers will be answered. But here's the other aspect of living if we want to remain or abide in Jesus. Are you praying? Are we not just in the study in the word, but on our knees in prayer? Asking God for help, 
pleading that God's will be done. Prayer is so important. And again, if I'm saying it and you're going, yeah, I'm not praying like I used to, then you may be drifting. You may be pulled away. If you want to remain, abide in Christ, pray. Now, I said before, don't have ten, a list of ten specifics on how, and yet I've given two. Am I sneaking in two? Why Bible and prayer? To abide in Christ is about having a living relationship with Jesus Christ. The key to any relationship is what? Communication. Communication has two parts. What is it? Speaking and listening. And prayer and Bible is speaking and listening. The Bible is the word where we hear from God and prayer is us speaking to God. If you're going to have a a living relationship with Jesus, therefore abiding in him, you've got to speak to God and you've got to listen to God. So time in the word and prayer is there. Don't move from him. Don't drift away. Abide, remain. I've got to wrap up. Here's three warnings, genuine warnings from the passage. One, there's a warning for those that are not in Jesus. If you're not in Jesus from these verses, there is no hope. That's clear from his words. So I want to speak to any who are here this morning who may not be in Jesus. If you're missing him, you're missing the one thing in life you need. And you might be wise in other areas of life. You might be successful in certain other aspects of life. But you're missing the one key essential of life, Jesus. We were made by God for God. And the only thing that plugs us into that, that truly frees and fulfills and saves us, is him. You won't find it anywhere else in this world. People today look for purpose and meaning in identity, in achievements, in pursuits of pleasure, but you will never find true lasting purpose and meaning, never mind salvation, in anything other than Jesus. It's only found in him. So don't leave today without thinking about the next step. You need him if you're here today and don't have him. Come and speak to me or or one of the leaders at St. Stephen's and we can chat about it. So the first warning is to those that are not in, in Jesus. Second warning is, it seems from these verses it's possible to look like you're a branch plugged into the vine, but you really aren't. This is the tragedy of false teachers or churches that say the right things but don't live them out. Or they might look the right way, but actually their hearts are from the Lord. There's, a, there's a, a reality problem, a warning here for us who are hypocrites. We must not be like that. It's not enough to know the Bible well in your head. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be ordained. It's not enough to take communion or be baptized. It's all about Jesus. A loving, living, true relationship with him. Do we have that? Otherwise, we're just a branch that might look like the others, but it's not, because it's not truly plugged into him. Are we, and, and the way you, you kind of know that, are we talking and listening to him, Bible and prayer? Are we following him and obeying him? There's a warning there for those who look like it, but it's not. The third warning is the obvious one for those of us who are in him, to remain in him, intentionally and deliberately. Jesus is clearly warning us from moving on from Jesus starting with him, but then pulling back or moving forward. And there are temptations for us in that way. A common one is back to the law. We start off with grace, but then we think, well, God will only love me if I carry on doing well. Rest in Christ and know that you're forgiven. Our obedience shows that we're remaining in Jesus. It doesn't prove it or retain it. It's so easy to go from the grace in Jesus Christ to the performance of law and justice. It's also possible for the world to pull us away. 
if you were thinking to my questions before on prayer and Bible, you know, I've drifted in that. Often it's because other things have pulled you away. The attractions of power and pleasure in the world. It's possible for us to drift away without even realising it. Sometimes just the busyness of life. Things that take our time and attention and slowly but surely we, we don't remain or abide. We drift away or are pulled back. The things of this world fill our heads and hearts and attention. We get filled with self and identity, money, pleasure, earthly status or security, human relationships, fear and anxiety, lack of trust. And some of those things are not bad in and of themselves. But put Jesus first. Fix your eyes on him first and then everything else will take the right priority and order. Abide in him first and foremost. Remain in him. So three warnings for those who've never been in Christ, to those who look like they are but aren't, and to those of us who are, keep remaining and abiding. Three warnings, but one wonderful encouragement. If we remain in him, Jesus says, then he abides with us and we will bear fruit. That's what he says in these verses. Isn't that an encouragement? It's not our performance. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wrestle and rustle and we just abide in him. He then abides in us and we will bear fruit. So let me finish by saying the words of a much-loved hymn from long ago that say it much better than I can. And we're singing it apparently next. So who, who, I didn't know we were singing it until just a few moments ago. Who picked the songs? Used to be Aaron and Grace. Who? I don't know who picked them, but they picked the right song because abide with me, verse 4, remain in me, I will remain in you. That's the promise that we have. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful encouragement in these verses, that if we remain and abide in you, you remain and abide with us, and we will bear fruit. Please help us be those who put this into effect in our lives, resting upon him, the true vine, who's done everything for us. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.